Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast. This is Sasf. 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 Hashtag or not, we don't care. Welcome to SAS. This is episode, a number. 59, I believe. 59. We've done this 59 times, apparently. Or 58, and this is the 59th time. We've done this so long, Brian had a kid. (laughs) 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 And what have you done, Nate? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, what have I accomplished? I've done this 59 times. That's what I've accomplished. Uh, Welcome back. Last time I ranted about Spider-Man. That's basically about it. And this time we're going to be talking about a different film. Yeah. A film. A different genre as well. Yeah. We're going to talk about American Underdog. Yeah. Right? Yep. And we're going to branch out of this. We're going to start with American Underdog, which is a movie that all of all of y'all, or if I'm going to actually be more truly Southern, all y'all, um, all y'all. Drop the partitive genitive. Need, need to view. This is a movie to watch. It's a good movie. Cinema score, the same as Spider-Man's, incidentally. Okay. A plus which shows you that uh, cinema scores don't matter because this is a good film. Spider-Man is not. But um, yeah, this is a a really good one. It even, uh, while Lionsgate released it as a broad broad commercial film, it it has been pegged as a Christian film. Okay. Because it's about a Christian, directed by a Christian, directed by a Christian who's directed other Christian films. And there, you know, the Christianity is, is clearly present. Um, and for, for those of us who don't know what it is, what is the movie? So in the year was, I believe, I don't remember, uh, maybe 1999. I don't know. It was the nineties. And there was a little guy named Kurt Warner who was a former quarterback at Northern Iowa and a down and out gentleman, um, who was struggling to make ends meet. He worked as a grocery store bagger. He married a, a single mom with a special needs son. And oh, wow. it was kind of this long, it's a, very, it's a very dramatic setup, very long dramatic setup. And then got the phone call. And this is, this is just what actually happened back in the day. This is the story it was all based on. Got the phone call to uh, play in the NFL. Wow. And so that's kind of the, the setup. Quarterback. So quarterback. Yep. Quarterback. So I remember the year it happened. I remember watching it all play out. And I remember thinking, man, I don't know how long it's going to be before Disney will be allowed to make that movie because that is intense. Like the actual cycle, the swing that that guy went through was insane. But also he was too Christian. His wife was too Christian. They were too out there, too, too evangelical, too. And you mean too evangelical for Disney? Yeah. They were not, they were not just point at the sky. Thank God. Christians. They were really mean it Christians Mm. because they'd been through it. And so it's really, it's really interesting because this is a story about a guy who really, really wanted above all else to play football. And his act in his actual story, he had like a year, one year in college where he actually started as a quarterback, really struggled, didn't get serious looks, spent five years out of the league, you know, making ends meet, fighting in the arena football league bagging groceries, et cetera, eventually marrying his girlfriend, 
she went through the ringer like mad horrible dirtbag husband who it it's kind of you know her her cheating husband actually even uh dropped her son on his head and that's where his his blindness and his oh, issues no. came from and then hid that fact from doctors who were trying to figure out what was going wrong yeah so it's yikes so a lot of the, the special needs were the result of abuse uh yeah were the result of or not bad fatherhood bad father uh, yeah. of an <clears throat> evil father and so this is a, a story of a guy who steps up in that you know as a stepdad in in that situation and then proceeds to work the long road it's not really a football movie you okay know, that's what i was going to ask football is the context football is the background uh, football is this, you know, is this journey this guy's on. It's the thing he's chasing and working, but it's, this is way more a story of the relationship, you know, a story of, of who this guy is and who he's becoming in, you know, in his relationships. And it, and it does kind of cross the period of his conversion as well in his actual life. But the thing that struck me the most watching it uh, was the fact that God, when you're watching a true story or you're reading a true story, God plays incredibly rough with his characters yeah and it's a reminder as an author as an author who you know strives to imitate him that i am never people think i'm hard on my characters i am never as hard on my characters as god is i'm, I'm working on these king david stories right now and it strikes me there as well where i'm just like holy cow what an intense story yeah. like this is gnarly this is really really hard we'll have to talk about those another time we will well we we can dabble here but like this is it's hard these are hard stories these are really really difficult stories like he's very very hard on his characters but when he is it's because the the upside the upswing is uh even more intense than we ever give our characters as well we love to give our kid our, our characters little struggles and then bubblegum victories yeah and he loves to give his characters deep dark like stair-stepping, cascading dark nights of the soul into tremendous triumphs. So if you think about, you think about the passion, you think about the crucifixion, and then think about dark, dark nights of the skull, of the skull, <laughs> dark nights of the soul. And for those of you who don't know, dark nights of the soul are typically those, those periods of act two where all is lost. You, know, you kind of look in any story, in any three-act structure story, there are these phases that where, where it appears that it's all over. Yeah. Like, it's done. It's the moment when you're watching a film and you start to think, hey, something has to go wrong here because things are too good. Yeah. It's that swing. And then it does, but the dark night of the soul is the bottom yeah. of that swing. So if you're watching a film and everything's working, you're in act two and everything's working. Yeah. You're a, halfway through the movie. Everything's about to crash. Everything's going to come swinging down. That crash, that turn has a bottom. And that bottom is the dark night of the soul. Now, a lot of screenwriting doctors, a lot of screenwriting instructors will tell you that at that bottom, you need to have a whiff of death, no matter what kind of story you're in. So uh, Blake Snyder, who wrote Save the Cat, will even, he, he breaks down Elf, the movie Elf, mm. and even says that the dark night of the soul there for Elf, he's standing on a bridge and he's despairing of, you know, of his father and his family and why is he coming to New York and what, what is it all for? And he stands on a bridge and the whiff of death is there's this at least cinematic insinuation of suicide. Right. Standing on a bridge in New York. Oh, he's looking at the cold water swirl underneath him as he's standing there. Now, he doesn't grab the handrail and put a foot up and think about jumping, but there's at least an insinuation 
the character is here despairing at this dark night of the soul and there's the cold water beneath him that at least is death it's a picture of death if he jumped he would die because in that movie that's when he's heading home he's given up on trying to connect with his dad and his family and he's so that's the dark night of the soul yeah Um, and usually that dark night's propelled by the character's weakness still that hasn't been addressed right or at least that's another ingredient no that is that is the place that's the bottom and out of that dark night there has to be the turn so the turn which is the character finally turning and overcoming you know for the final time their weakness like addressing (laughs) uh facing whether some form of repentance or direct conflict with their own weakness or their own past or you know their own mistakes all the things that Spider-Man doesn't do, <laughs> um, where he doesn't, he doesn't. Yeah, what, is, what I'm trying to remember what Buddy's problem is, I more am enjoying it. I think it's that he's not, uh, is it that he's not, he's not doing his best. He's not trying to fit in at all, right? Uh, if we're, that, talking, we're talking about Elf here? Yeah, Elf. Buddy's problem is that he is overly naive and self-absorbed. Right. Yeah, so he thinks I can just be an Elf and just do yeah. my thing. And then he has to realize, no, actually, I need to. I need to help others. Help He's others. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, and it's, of course, very trite. And it's a very shallow movement. Right. Yeah, the Dark because Knight is very shallow. And the triumph, you know, it's like. He has to then go help Santa Claus. So yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very shallow movement. It's also after this is where his, a character's strengths are often discovered by the people who haven't appreciated them. Other things like that happen. Um, but anyway, so if you watch a show like American Underdog, you discover, because it's a true story, that. When God uses dark nights of the soul, and he does, that's why we use them, is because he uses them. They stair step. <laughs> they, they, it's, yeah. not, it's not a character on a bridge and cold water beneath. It's actually three days in the grave. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, you're on the cross, and then you're in the grave, and then you're in the grave the next day, and the next day. <laughs> and, <it's> like, <laughs> and it goes down and down and down. Right. And the triumph on the other side is so much more striking and fantastic because of the level of hardness that God has with his characters. So, I mean, in January, when we tend to look forward on our year and say, you know, as pastors have advised, pray for wisdom, increased wisdom, increased patience this year, you can feel that moment of, hey, there's going to be some dark nights coming and they're going to be little because I'm little right now. But but watching when you feel the dark night coming, I love being able to apply narrative tools to that kind of thing. Narratives are handy. Yeah. Because you realize, oh, this was that moment that I was asking for. Do you, you can sit there in those moments and ask yourself after having done something stupid, said something stupid, done something stupid, and ask yourself, do I really want to be that guy? (laughs) (laughs) Is that the guy I'm interested in being? The answer is usually no. You do not. You do (laughs) not. And the beautiful thing is you don't have to be. Right. You don't have to be that girl. You don't have to be that guy. You can be a different character right now. You can turn. You can turn out of this. Not to launch us. Too far Back. afield, but yeah, those that you're not stuck in your Enneagram type. Oh gosh. <laughs> We're probably going too far. Get out the matches and the lighter fluid and burn that thing. Anyway, American Underdog, the thing one of the things that's really beautiful about it is this study of a character who is struggling after something and the refinement, the way in which this dross gets burned off of this guy and the things that he he believes himself to be fully committed. He believes himself to be all in and fully committed and because of his dogged pursuit. And he's not. 
Okay. I was going to ask you. He's not well, as Well, what's his weakness? He... What does is, what is Kurt need to do? Yeah. Well, it's that level of all-in commitment and self-sacrifice. It's also fun to see in his own personal narrative, it's fun to see him improve in like a Cinderella man kind of way via different hardship, like be refined mm. uh, by Providence. And so he's, he's playing arena football and struggling because it's so different and it's so hard. And he, t- he tells the, the commissioner of this thing, something like, it's a circus. And the guy says, now, now you're catching on. <laughs> you know, it's like, now you get it. <laughs> yeah. But then he realizes there's a touchdown bonus. Like he gets $100 for a touchdown. Okay. And $100 for a touchdown for a guy whose stepkids have almost frozen to death on the side of the road when they ran out of gas. And you know, it's like they've really, they, they're living on the brink, like the absolute brink. And he's working an actual job, but then he's playing football. $100 touchdown bonus is like, mm-hmm. And he just starts the, the, the motivation, like the the sudden yeah. change in motivation, is very Cinderella Man. Another another film I really really enjoy. Yeah, and a very similar thing is said by Russell Crowe, where he he actually somebody's asking like, what are you, you know, what are you fighting for? Like he knows why he's fighting, and he says for milk. Right. You know, it's like now he know he knows why he's fighting. He's fighting for milk. Right. And before it's it's always been you know, money, fame. His own personal dream of yeah. being a boxer. Like I am fighting for And the milk. moment when he sees his kids. Yeah, he's you know, he's not enough food for his Yeah, his girl. kids have starved. He's had to ship his kids off, yeah. you know, to stay warm. And this is a very similar story. And like Kurt went through something incredibly hard, struggling to make ends meet and failing. And the double and triple dark night of the soul that they just kind of stagger through that forces him that that forces him to get all in. You know, and it's not until he goes all in into his relationships that he actually starts to come out the other side. And so it's just a, it's a beautiful story. And it's, it's pretty fantastically told. And knowing what the filmmakers had to go through in the time of COVID to tell it and the restrictions they were battling and, mm. you know, all the, the nightmare of governments and studios and, you know, a director who's having to wear a mask and a face mask and like, <laughs> like trying to work with actors in that context is just. Oh, wow absurd so yeah i really enjoy the film i showed it to i showed a screener before all the visual effects were done i showed a screener to a theater full of high school football players and their middle-aged parents and i would say this this movie did just as well with teenage boys as it did with middle-aged moms and okay you know it's like it it landed hard with high school boys and with 40 year old moms so I mean that that is a a very difficult thing to do, and a very with any film, and that's yeah. a very difficult thing to do with a film involving football. Yeah, well, that was yeah because it's not really a football movie. Okay. So I mean, the football's there, the sports are there, and they're there symbolically more than anything else. Yeah, you know, it's like they they play out, they're there, but it's not a this is not a detailed sports movie. Yeah. So that's that's the question then. The reason it pays off then is because the characters are universal. The struggle, yep, right? The struggle is universal. We're looking at, I, well, I really dislike the word primal, but it's a primal desire that the screenwriters still useful. always talk about. <laughs> I mean, pri- primal is a useful word. I have known plenty of people who hate the word moist, and yet <laughs> it's also a useful word. Yeah. Well, I meant uh, primal just primal. seems to communicate that we're all, we got to get back to when humans were cavemen. And that's how we find out what a desire and a book Don't is. Don't confuse it with primitive. <laughs> <laughs> primal, 
primal, I think. Is there any other use for primal besides if you primal can say, If you can say, you can, if you can say uh, fundamental, I'm, I think primal, it makes sense when you think like really, really simple, really, yeah. really basic, really fundamental drives. A man's drive to love his wife and provide for his family. Yeah. Like to just make okay. it, to just make it. Like, that's true. It's to better... take care of his blind stepson. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, oh, that's kind of. All right. Primal. You know, that's, that's kind of. Saber tooth tigery. Yeah. It's on the basic level. Can I feed this kid? Can I keep him from freezing? Mm. You know, that's a very, very basic thing. And there's a great, there's a, one of, one of the strongest scenes I've seen in a long time. And I told the director this and he said, I'm really glad it made the cut then. That one almost went away. <laughs> um, there's a, a rough scene, spoiler, where there's a death and Kurt's then girlfriend, uh, there's a, her parents have, are gone and uh, she is with her family and they're going to you know sp- scatter the ashes or something. And Kurt's going to walk with her like down to this river and she turns to him and says, I'm going to remember this moment forever. So if you're not going to be here, I'd rather you not be in the memory. Ooh. And it's just like, Oh, I love that so what much. I like, I'm just like <sighs> real life. <I'm> like, yes. <laughs> like, could you just hang back so I won't remember you? So you won't taint this memory if you're not gonna actually stick like, around. Stick. And I was like, that is good. <laughs> that is that's just <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> solid. <laughs> Yo, um, so whether the writers wrote that or whether Brenda Warner, I think that's her name, wrote it in real life, I'm like, that's solid. Well done, Brenda, or well done, writers. Yeah. But uh, the story is fantastic, and the story historically just is what it is. You know, like this yeah. guy had- It's real. It, it's real. This happened. It's amazing. It's ridiculous. It's the kind of thing that is not possible, and it's not possible for him to have gone as low as he went, nor is it as possible. It's just not possible for him to go- as high as he went. But that's kind of true for David. It's true for any number of yeah. characters. So, I mean, I, sometimes I think we see these bigger than life characters and, and forget that that happens in people we know. Yeah. We, you know, it's yeah. not just that you got to be an NFL quarterback to have this yep. kind of story. Yep. Those stakes are similarly high in your own lives. Or every, or people every you know. single, every single person, every person here on this planet is living life and death stakes. Yeah. All of us are. Mm-hmm. And every one of us in the end is going to live until we live the wrong side of that life and death stakes. Like we're, it's going to run out. We're all going to like in the end, all going to go. We're all here, life and death stakes. And even beyond that eternal stakes. So the, you've never met a mere mortal stakes. Yeah. Raising eternal souls stakes the line between good and evil and every human heart yeah. that's the stakes yep and you look at horrible villains you know little nasty villains through history and you think there was a mom who raised that kid mm. you know like there's a there's a dad who bailed on who that pieced kid. out on that kid yep yep and like these these mat like there's massive stakes there's just massive stakes in all sorts of self-absorption and selfishness that that plays out and it plays out over history and in the lives of hundreds and thousands of people that we will never know so like you but exactly like you said with quarterbacks kings it doesn't matter but all of us will all of us will live stories the same level of stakes 
And all of us will live stories with the same level of intensity and hardship in dark nights of the soul. Stair stepping down, all of us will say goodbye. Like all of us will say goodbyes with the same level of intensity. Yeah. Like this, the stair steps down, like, and then guess who else you're going to say goodbye to? Everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yep. Everybody. And then the other one, and then the other one, or them, you. Yeah. And uh, on the other side, all of us have the opportunity to experience the the triumph as well. So, yeah. American Underdog, I think, captures that really, really well. And it's not often that that movies or books make me think about the nature of story itself or the nature of God's technique. But this one did. This one was like, man, this is yeah. This one just keeps on punching body blows. But it's doing it, and no writer making this story up ever could do that. No human, no no human author fictionalizing a narrative would ever be allowed to tell this story. Mm. Like this is one of those things that editors can't mess with, pure and simply because God did it. Yeah. If any if any human tried to tell this story, it would get redlined by everybody. And viewers would turn their noses up and editors would turn their noses up, but God did it. And so we all just kind of sit here and stare like, man, that happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, and then we look, you know, transitioning a bit, 22 million yeah. uh, for in box office, which yep. is, you know, not a small amount of money, but compared to the 1.6 billion of the Spider-Man, of Spidey, yeah. Spidey fiasco, um, <laughs> I don't know what, what's, is do you think American Underdog is what is the kind of movie Christians should make? Absolutely, that, that's the what we should be shooting for. If you learn to film, mm-hmm. yeah, nonfiction. I'm really grateful that that uh, they made that film. I'm grateful I got to watch it. I'm grateful it's out there, and I want there to be more movies like it. Yeah, so I want to support it for that reason. I want there to be more. You know, there need to be billion dollar box office movies too. I'm fine with that. I just wish they wouldn't suck. They don't. They don't <laughs> have to. And that's the thing that frustrates me is the Spider-Man movie, if it had not sucked, could be at two billion. Those are fairy tale numbers right now. I don't even know what they mean. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it could be at two billion or exactly as much billion as it currently has. Right. It wouldn't have lost money if it had been good. <laughs> like it's right. You know, if it had actually had a better aftertaste, if it had been more compelling, uh, if it hadn't squandered its opportunities. But I, I digress. Um, I recently the problem had, is like they're not yeah. sufficiently incentivized. They're made buku bucks, yeah. And so, you know, I recently had someone ask us, you know, as a publisher, what do you think is going to happen with the market? And in some sense, we're betting that quality will win, like a good story over time. And, and I don't think it's being naive. It's just we're putting our money onto <laughs> quality. We want good stories. Should I say something vulgar? <laughs> That's in, up to you. <laughs> in the, into the microphone. <laughs> um, cream rises. Yeah. It really does. And so that, that's just the way God made the world. So he who is excellent in his work will stand before kings. Yeah. Cream rises. Storytellers, anybody pursuing the artistic craft should be encouraged by the fact that God sees it. God sees your work. Yeah. And he has said, if you are excellent in your work, you'll stand before kings. Cream will rise. Yeah. If you get good, if you get excellent, you, you'll float. But it is not only cream rises. <laughs> <laughs> there are many turds that also rise. <laughs> like it's, yeah. This is, there are many things that float in the world. Right. And it's not all cream. Right. So it's messy out there, people. It's messy out there. 
Uh, there are things that are wildly successful that have nothing to do with cream at all. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, eschew those things. Don't be duped by those things. Don't participate in any kind of fanboy way. I obviously watch Spider-Man. I have no problem with anybody else watching Spider-Man. But keep your brain turned on. You know, it's like that. Don't just opt out and turn into a baby bird and just consume like a good little American, whatever they told you to. Keep your brain turned on. Hack out the hairball of, you know, all the trash afterward. And don't be a fanboy. Don't turn into just a fanboy with loyalties to whatever a particular studio or franchise is spitting out. Why do you think other Christian franchises don't tell this kind of story? Why do they tell much more saccharine stories with its formulaic approach? I don't need to pick on anybody in particular, but the big mainstream Christian movies that I've seen over the past few years just aren't real like that. Like, yeah, they overwhelmingly because of a woman named Kathy. Really? Yep. Does she, does she have money? Yes. <laughs> ah, okay. Kathy, uh, she's a, this, this is like its own podcast. I'm surprised we haven't talked about Kathy yet. Okay, wow. Um, Kathy is representative. She's a, everybody, everybody listening who is a Kathy needs, needs to pay attention. Before Karen, before Karen's, there were Kathy's. A Kathy is a 35-year-old with a little blast radius in both directions. A 35-year-old evangelical housewife who makes the cultural decisions for family consumption. The problem is that her household is they're all individuals and they're individual Americans. And so they consume as individuals and they participate in American culture as individuals. But as a Christian family, they consume through Kathy. Okay. And so whenever a Christian movie is coming, a Christian film is coming, the pagan studios, which own Christian Hollywood and control it as a silo of pagan Hollywood. There is no Christian Hollywood. So just like there are horror silos of studios, there are little Christian silos where they give you know, allowances of money to filmmakers to go make a Christian movie. They have to please Kathy. And they have very specific rules. And the most important thing is that everything be nice and inoffensive. And so every, gotcha. film, every film has to alienate as few Kathys as possible if you're trying to sell into the Christian marketplace. Because Kathy's the gateway to the entire family. If you're going to get Christian families to consume it as a family, you, gotcha. have to, you have to be as inoffensive to as many Kathys as possible. So, however, her sons are going out the back door and watching Marvel movies. Her husband is watching HBO. She is watching Netflix. <laughs> right. But when they watch together, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's all broken. I mean, the whole thing is it's a really broken and sad and that tragic. That sounds like hypocrisy. <laughs> uh, it is a broken and tragic mess. Now, that's not always the case, but that is the case. So when, you, when it's something that's coming out for family night, when it's coming out for family night, there's a, there's a Kathy standard that hits. Now, this is crumbling. It's changing. There's some change going on, and I hope, I hope shakeups will occur. But the much bigger issue is not Kathy. The much bigger issue is the, the tyranny of, secular Hollywood over what is allowed to be in a Christian film. Okay. So, so since because of what's made money, they've now got standards on, oh, we don't do this. Limits film. on budgets. Okay. So uh, that, that rules for marketing. That would hamper the actors too, because you can't get yep. the A-level talent necessarily, yep. or you can get one. You're not, but you're also not getting A-level crew, not getting A-level talent. Gotcha. You know, so you're, you have to be real scrappy to make it in the end as a Christian filmmaker who's 
got a vision to tell really good stories. Okay. So this film, how'd this film get through? Because it's not a Christian film? This film got through because John Irwin and his brother Andy successfully made a huge amount of money on I Can Only Imagine. Okay. And so they had more latitude to do what they wanted with this one. But even this one, they had uh, a big, I want to say like 30% of their budget slashed, you know, unexpectedly. Ooh, that's a big amount. Yeah. I actually didn't, couldn't find how much the budget was on this one, but. Uh, I, I know, but I don't know that I'm allowed to say. Gotcha. All right. So it's, uh, but yeah, it's, um, they did an awesome job, but yeah, it's, uh, it's really restrictive. It's super restrictive. What are the restrictions on advertising? What are they feeding us to make us want? <laughs> That same thing, niceness, or is it? Well, the question, the question, inspiration, really. Okay. You know, it's uh, be inspired, and American Underdog actually is really inspiring. So that, like, truly in a good way, and so that works. But it's uh, and the best thing for American Underdog is the marketing. I thought was a little confused. They couldn't figure it out because they come at, they tried to do a broad marketing release on Christmas Day, but they kind of chickened out and were calling it a Christian movie, but. They'd done edits to make it like not an overtly Christian movie to make it more of a broad market movie. But the, the actual taste of the film was the thing that mattered the most. And the thing that I found the most encouraging was people who walk out of the theater, having watched it, love it. Okay. And they're going to tell other people, you need to see that movie. And mm -hmm. that's the best, that is the best weapon any movie has. That's the best marketing a movie has. And that's ultimately what Spider-Man had too. So, but Spider-Man had just a much bigger starting audience. Like it started with the same audience that Spider-Man 2 had, you know, a huge yeah. basic built in Marvel size audience. And then they all said, you should, you have to go watch it. it it's the rule. It's the zeitgeist. You must, you must watch it. And so there's this cultural pressure. Now with American Underdog, people are saying, you'll love it. Like, no, that, that tasted really good. That was really, like that affected me. Mm -hmm. That movie, American Underdog affected 19 year old boys that I talked to that affected my own kids. Like it made them think, it made them talk, it made them assess their lives and their choices and how they wanted to be. Mm. Like it, it inspired, it really affected people. So American Underdog is a movie that will make people self assess and look at, like, look at what they're doing and, and tell other people to see it. Like it, it will do that. And so that kind of is how it grew. Initially, right out the gate, it wasn't just like the Christian movie of the year, you know, like, Right. You know, it didn't sell itself super well. And it was a really crowded release right in, right in Christmas with The Matrix and, and all the awards movies coming out. Gotcha. But you look at how movies are performing right now, and there's so little space for theaters and for what people will go see in theaters. Mm -hmm. So I, I really would encourage everybody to see it in the theater. It's really fun to see it on the big screen. But it shot right past, you know, Will Smith and King Richard and, you know, Kate Blanchett and, all sorts of other projects. Yeah. So, well, I also, as a side note, I can also plug as long as we're doing this. Yeah. Vid Angel, don't look up. Turn on about 110 filters and then watch Don't Look Up. It's fantastic. Okay. Another great one. All right. Uh, I also, though, here's the question When do we get to see something from you that you've directed? Oh, man. <laughs> Maybe I just turn into a gadfly. I never, I never make anything anymore. Except I'm, bites. I'm, I'm writing, <laughs> I'm writing like mad right now, frantically cleaning the slate, trying to close out deadlines, contracts, and uh, it should be a very productive year. As far as directing goes, I've got a lot of writing to close out in the next month or two. Uh, I got to finish up Ashtown 
And I think as soon as Ashdown is finished, then I'll be pivoting towards like, what am I actually making, making? Okay. So there's seeds going in the ground, ground being cleared, boulders yeah, being moved. So many boulders, so many stumps. <laughs> yeah. Lots of stuff getting pulled, lots of writing. Okay. So we'll see yeah. soon. Soon. It's got to make you want to get out on the field yourself. Be like, I want to see it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very much so. <laughs> but right now I feel like I'm just, well, I mean, boulders and stumps. So that's probably the best metaphor. Trying to clear, trying to clear the runway so I can get this plane off the ground. Mm-hmm. Ashtown, got to finish it. Got to finish this rough draft, Silent Bells. And it's been waiting on a couple scripts that I had to pump out, which are done. And at least those first drafts are done. And a couple of graphic novel manuscripts and <laughs> which are, stuff. you know, we, yeah, going lots of, lots of things are going. Right. So the real question for me is when's my next novel going to happen after Ashdown? And that I don't know. I think that's like, it, I don't know. It's scary. It's scary to me to look out in the future and be like, man, I think that's like after multiple shows and movies out there somewhere. Wow. When I'm old. When you're haggard. When I'm haggard. <laughs> when I'm haggard. When I, when I mostly just sleep and sip whiskey and don't leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. We can look forward when to that. When this podcast comes to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. The, the well, small let's just say I'm busy stone. enough that I was like, why do we do this podcast? Do we need to do this podcast? We do this podcast because it's awesome. Brian said, because it's fun. I was like, yeah, that's, that's right. That's why we do this. <laughs> but I don't have an hour on Tuesdays. But apparently I still do. Yeah, here we are. Here You've we done are. 59 of them. So. Here, here, here we are. 59 hours. Still going. So yeah, hopefully we'll be able to keep doing this podcast somehow. But yeah, I've been clearing the decks like mad. So including this podcast, I was like, but why do we do Sasfa? Yeah. Sasf. And the answer so far is just because. It's a small smooth stone. <laughs> it's a small smooth stone. We're throwing it at something. <laughs> <laughs> into the abyss. We're still smoothing it right now. Are actually. we throwing in the abyss or are we a hobbit that dropped it down a well in Moria? Yep. <laughs> you fool of a took. Yeah. Reference. <laughs> Literary reference. That's what we're all about after all, despite yes. two podcasts in a row about the movies. The movies. The moving picture shows. Yeah. Uh, which well, allow me to end by saying, talk like an old person. Say things like, do you want to look at a movie? Or uh, <laughs> refer to them as moving picture shows as much as possible, which is what I do. Yeah. To, uh, Friends and family alike. My grandfather would always refer to them as moving picture shows. And I so, love it. So I do that as often as I can. The moving picture shows. We are here discussing moving picture shows that we have looked at. <laughs> <laughs> We're out. Episode 59. If you'd like to see more stories from a robust Christian worldview, subscribe today to Canon Plus. Just go to mycanonplus.com to sign up today.